So this is like take 240 of trying to do this intro off the cuff in a more authentic way. And so I'm just going to go for it. Welcome to part two of this conversation. If you haven't listened to part one yet, um, head back to the previous episode and listen to part one of my conversation with Joy Vetterline because it'll give you good context for the rest of the conversation that'll happen in this episode. If you follow me on the socials, you would have noticed I posted a video after therapy earlier this week, which was just after part one of this conversation dropped and I shared a little bit about the vulnerability hangover that I had because sharing some of what I shared in that episode or alluded to is stuff that I haven't spoken very publicly about so really felt a bit raw about that and concerned about what folk who have known me for years particularly in an evangelical setting will think I then went on to post something else that I think is very, very important. And that is just because I don't wear a certain label anymore doesn't give you the right to judge what I do or don't believe. And I think as an evangelical Christian, I always used to do this a lot. You know, unless people were defined about what they believe and where they stood, the judgment was real. You know, I would make my own... um, mind up about where they stood on various issues without really engaging with them. And I I suppose the challenge from this conversation with Joy is that maybe if we spoke to people a little bit more, maybe if we held space for people's changing and differing beliefs, maybe if we were willing to remain friends with people despite their shifting ideas, then maybe, just maybe the world would be a kinder and gentler place. So just to remind you, and we'll head straight into the rest of the conversation after that, but this is how my conversation with Joy ended in part one. I I don't use the word Christian anymore because it has, it's too confining to my experience of spirituality now. It's not that I'm rejecting the past. I think there is some good in my past, but it's not enough for me anymore. And so to me, saying the word Christian says, oh, there are these set of rules and beliefs that you have to follow to be a Christian. There's some core things like you have to believe that Jesus is God and there's something that happened on the cross and there's some sort of relationship with God, the Father, God, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Like, just some really basic things. Like, and when I realized I wasn't willing to make definitive statements about that anymore, it was like, well, those things might be true, but I'm not willing to say they're true anymore. So I think that means that I'm not a Christian anymore. Like, is there some truth? Is is Christ- Can Christianity be a path to finding God? Sure. I do think so. But it's not my path anymore because I want to take more paths than that. Uh, I'm fi- I'm struggling to find the words here, but there's an there's an authentic connection between what you're thinking and living and what you're saying you are, rather than trying to fit what's happening in terms of your 
maybe I'm speaking for myself in terms of your wrestling, trying to fit that into an umbrella term yeah. that doesn't cover that anymore. Yeah. You say, Joy, you say in, an, in another post that unbecoming a Christian is the natural outflow of your entire Christian experience. Okay. So when I, I, I was a true believer and I lived, you know, for me, it was a very authentic faith. I wasn't only performative. I had a personal relationship with God. I talked to God. I felt, you know, direction from the Holy Spirit within, like, I was, I was really, those parts of me were real. It wasn't, yeah, I wasn't just performing Christianity. And when I look at what was the posture of my heart in those moments, it was to pursue God and to live an in, aligned life of love and integrity as a good citizen in the world. And somewhere along the way, the mechanism I was doing to live that life, Christianity was the mechanism through, or the vehicle through which I was living that life. And the vehicle broke down. And in the process of deconstruction, as I started examining the vehicle, it sort of fell apart all around me. But that didn't mean that I still wasn't going to keep going on the path of pursuing God and living an aligned lifestyle. It's just that I have had to find a new vehicle to get there. So in that sense, like the, the journey I started as a Christian, I'm still on that journey. It just isn't in a Christian car anymore. Mm -hmm. Does that make more sense? Makes absolute sense. Makes absolute sense. And I, I think that connects to what I want to ask you about, because this one really hit home for me. Where <laughs> you wrote, I never really chose to be a Christian in the first place. Like, I, I want to stop there briefly, because that resonates so deeply with me. I, I remember so many times, you know, like at youth camps or church camps or whatever, sharing, I mean, <laughs> For those who and there are folk who listen who didn't grow up evangelical, so some of these Christianese things are gonna like they're not gonna know what I'm talking about, you know. But like I would stand up and give my testimony, and and one of the things I would always say was how grateful I am that I grew up in a home where I was introduced to you know God from an early age and was able to multiple times give my life to Christ. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like happened over and over again. And yeah. <laughs> but like, but but what struck me about that and a lot of the stuff I'm unpacking in therapy is this whole idea of like w when did because the second part of that is you say I chose to keep being a Christian. I, I'm still trying to figure out in my mind like when did I choose to keep being a Christian and how much how much of it was still that baggage that I carried from growing up in that space and time. And one of the big stumbling blocks for me about how particularly evangelical folks see the Christian faith is that if you live that way and believe that way, that shuts the door to peace and freedom and a fullness of life for so many people. Because if you don't fit into that construct, so like I keep asking myself like, okay, so I got lucky. <laughs> I mean, that's a really, it's a really like, weird way of looking at the world um 
And so then you say you also never seriously considered any other options until now. And I think we've unpacked some of that until now. But this was a this was a powerful realization for me is this whole idea of choice because often Christians talk about choosing Jesus and it is it's a choice. But I feel and this is my experience. I can't speak for anyone else, and I, I don't want to say that anyone else's experience wasn't or isn't genuine. But I look back on a whole lot of those situations, and the stuff I'm unpacking angrily in therapy is are those manipulative moments where, where yes, I had a choice, but actually. If, like I'm doing now, I step outside of the norm of that choice, then the impact is real. The people praying for you or thinking you're lost or the way they think about and look at you and think you've fallen off the wagon or backslidden or whatever is, that's very, very real. And even at 48, I'm almost 50, I still I carry that like fear of saying stuff like this because I'm wondering what are people thinking? And then I think that's not really a choice. Yeah. You know, I think that what's really interesting in this subject of, you know, kids becoming Christians at an early age, I think that we forget to include the, or we underestimate the role of sociology and and social dynamics among humans as a species in that i like it is actually good for children to have the same belief system as their tribe like they need that to stay alive like that of course like we are wired to adopt the values and beliefs of the people around us to survive and I, I don't hold that against myself, you know, I don't hold it against myself that at five, when everybody I knew was a Christian and then wanted me to be one too, that I said, yes, like, of course they didn't have an option. That was the environment it was in. And I did what I needed to do to like fit in and be safe. Like, of course, like, thank you, little me for making that choice. What I look back on now is you know, we, even in the proselytizing of children, which we call discipleship, um, it's, we're telling them that they have a choice if they want to follow Jesus or not. And yet the fact that there are adults teaching that to children makes it not a choice. Like the fact that people in authority are encouraging a decision takes it out of free will. There is a power dynamic there that we see in all other situations that when there's a power dynamic, there's not actually like, I don't know, to use, you know, in the me too world, you know, there's not consent doesn't work if there's a power dynamic, you know? Um, And then you introduce the theology of hell that says, choose Jesus. But if you don't, like choose Jesus out of your free will, but just know that if you don't, you're going to have an eternity of blistering, burning pain, and it's never going to stop. That is not free will. That is survival. We So we chose, you know, all of us kids who asked Jesus into our heart, a lot of us 
chose a belief in Christianity out of survival. There was the social pressures to fit in with our people. And there was the like, just plain, like, I don't want to go jump in fire forever with like Satan laughing at me the whole time. Like those were like panic, like trauma response. Not, I don't know if trauma responses were, but they were like survival instincts. And so to get to this point now and say, oh, I don't have to choose that anymore because when I think back to that person, like I wouldn't let that person tell me what to do today. Like I don't need to let my Sunday school teacher or my Christian kindergarten teacher, like if she told me what to do right now, I'd be like, well, who are you lady? Like, so she doesn't need to like tell me what to do when it comes to my eternal salvation either, you know? Do you, I mean, you don't have to answer this, Joy, but do you do you have any regrets, particularly being in, like, vocational ministry at a stage? You know, I think of, I think of what we would call holiday clubs here in South Africa, but like vacation Bible school kind of situations or, you know, in my many years as a youth pastor, you know, stuff that I, I would say that I look back on now and think, geez, you know, we created... We created moments that were a perfect storm for an emotional response. Um, and so like part of part of my struggle and my wrestle and what I'm trying to work through is to what extent have I perpetuated the same things that I struggle with in unpacking what my spiritual direction looks like now. Yeah. Yeah, no, I definitely have those moments. I have written VBS songs that have gotten like distributed. I, for a while, I was like a freelance writer for some Christian curriculum that is still for sale. Um, all of the VBSs I was a part of, you know, at like my local church and, and like, I was pretty good at creating environments. <laughs> like I was good at my producer job, like getting the lights going and making sure like the sound and picking the right videos and like hyping all the kids up. Like, yeah, I totally did that. And I like, if I think about the impact of that, well, I just, my brain won't let me go there. Like it's too. Hmm. So I, I don't know. I try to like understand my intentions at the time. I, and I am trying to now do the work I can to help who wants it. You know, I can't, I don't think I'm single-handedly responsible for the message of, you know, I was, most of us were equally victims and perpetrators of a lot of this harmful theology and um, I, I, to me, it doesn't feel productive to spend a lot of time like beating myself up for my role in it, but rather like I'd rather spend that energy to like move forward if there is like individual interactions that come my way where like I personally hurt someone that I want to make right. But I don't know, like I can't, I don't know who all has heard the song I wrote. I can't reach out to them and be like, 
JK, by the way, this is wrong. <laughs> like they wouldn't listen anyways, because that wasn't the only place they were getting that messaging, you know? So yeah. now I'm just trying to like put better stuff out into the world. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, just even for my own journey, Joy, I mean, you know, I've, I've shared this with you. I, I want to thank you. I think as I have a number of times on things you've posted, uh, I feel I feel so often that you're writing for where I'm at. So I'm sure that's true for lots of people. And um, but I, I just think the work you're doing is 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 so important. And I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about this post because we are running out of time. But one of them that really resonated deeply with me, and if people listen to the first episode I ever recorded on this podcast, they'll understand why. But you. Did, wrote a post where you said how many times did we tell people they needed Jesus when what they really needed was therapy and I just think I think joy like that a post like that just gives people who are wrestling with this this kind of stuff and particularly with issues around mental illness gives them freedom and permission to seek the help that they really really need and so I want to thank you I want to thank you for that um, because, yeah, therapy, uh, I said to a very, very evangelical friend the other day that therapy saved me more than Jesus did and con it continues to. I, if I stop going now, I can, I mean, all the other neurodivergent challenges I have are kept in check through medication. But if I don't go to therapy, those get so much, yeah. it's so much more difficult to manage those, those things. Joy, I want to, I want to, I want to speak about two more things with you before we close. And the first is, is like, what's with all the evangelical rage? Because... <laughs> I mean, people can jump onto your Instagram and see you've got a post there, but you know, you did a you did a series for the Practice Co. all about this not calling yourself a Christian anymore, and you know, you, people were saying you're perpetuating dangerous ideology. You know, <laughs> I mean, uh, and like from what I know about you, like I don't want I know you don't want this to become a you know, like an opportunity to beat other people up. But like, I, I'm trying to understand that evangelical rage where there's no space for people who don't believe or people like me who are wrestling through all this stuff where there is no space to ask the questions and to challenge the status quo without getting the most severe kind of pushback. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you have an answer or any insight as to why, but it just, I see so many people posting things and the backlash is, it's like vitriol. Yeah. I mean, I think the good thing is like, because I am so bold, like a lot of those people have like long since unfollowed me. So I'm not, <laughs> they're not like, they've just totally, whatever, they're gone. Um, but I think it's hard to talk about this without, I never want to come across sounding superior because I feel like it's like different side of the same coin. Um, there does seem to be in the evangelical worldview, um, 
part of that belief structure is the the singularity, the exclusivity of this being the only way, um, you know, enter through the narrow gate. <laughs> I'm the way, the truth of life. This like this one way is the way, the only way to God. And because their belief holds that if you don't follow that way, you will end up in hell forever. So when someone comes along and says, that's not true, you can come over here. I understand the fear that that brings up because essentially it's like I'm saying, you guys, come on. The wide path is fine. It's fine. Everybody like, it's fine. Go over here. And they think I'm telling people it's okay to go to hell. So in that world, you, I can understand why that sounds dangerous and why mm-hmm. in their worldview, their love for other people brings out that fear, that anger, like how, like how heartbreaking that someone could uh, like turn their back on Jesus and is now encouraging other people to do the same. Like, this is so sad. Like I cognitively get that. And so I think because I can like put myself in their shoes and because I have been there, I'm kind of able to see it for what it is. Um, I, I don't know why I don't take um, like internet drama very personally. Like, yeah, if somebody's really like attacking me, I like, I'll get a little bit like, I get a little like adrenaline, like, oh, like, and I like want to reply and sometimes I will and sometimes I won't. Um, but I think the hard part is when it's someone you know, who has witnessed you, who you feel like has seen you do your best and be a person of integrity. When someone you know accuses you of having bad intentions, that's when it really hurts. The internet stuff doesn't matter. And I think this is the part where I'm sort of like the positive side to the fact that my church community just like pretty much completely abandoned me is that they were already out of my life. Like they had already hurt me when I did this, they, they already like completely just like pretended I didn't exist. Like that's what still hurts. I don't know what they think about what I believe now. Um, they, they're not, they're not really coming to me to tell me. So that, that continues to be, I mean, in the, in the coaching, I spiritual coaching that I do. Yeah. That's a big thing that people are like, how do I set these boundaries with people and, and deal with this genuine, like they're genuinely afraid I'm going to hell and they want to talk to me about it. But yeah, I, I think, I think that to get back to your question, I think that evangelical rage is based on a lot of fear when at, at best it's based on fear <laughs> and at worst it's based on like all the other toxic things in Christianity that you and I know about and don't need to elaborate here <laughs> yeah just seems antithetical ironically to yeah. to how jesus if if we believe those historical accounts of how jesus showed up in the world and who is the model for an entire faith just seems i want to end with this because this is i think what i love about what you're doing joy is One of the posts you wrote that highlights this for me is you said my religious experiences weren't all bad. And Mm -hmm. it maybe links to this question about evangelical rage. And I'm not trying to 
like blow your trumpet or whatever here. Yeah. I don't know if that's a, a saying that Americans understand. Not really. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it means like I'm not trying to like boost your ego or whatever with the oh, statements. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. Okay. But, <laughs> but I, <laughs> I always wonder if about We have these. some word for that that's similar and yeah. you can't right now. Yeah. I will think of yeah. it. <laughs> but um, what I really like about the content you put out is despite I think some of what you've experienced inside those evangelical walls, you still seem to hold in my mind so much space for folk who are still there. And and I have people who are close to me who are still there and hold space for me. And I'm so grateful for those people. And those are the people who really know like where I am in my journey and are not concerned about me. Um, but that if I'm being, if I'm being really authentically honest, and maybe it's the neurodivergent part of me that just wants to like fire back and have a response and like settle things, you know, that's, that's really, really hard for me. It's, it's really hard for me to, to use a Christian word, to have grace for people who, who don't show um, grace to me. And, 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 and funnily enough, I've, I've actually probably unfollowed most deconstruction accounts that I have been following because it's almost like a lot of those folk are seem to me to be doing the same thing. Um, and so I'm, I'm just fascinated, like, and you don't have to go into detail, but, but, but what is it about your, your approach? Like, how do you think about that, about holding space for people when it is so messy? Yeah. Okay. Two things come to mind when you ask that. One is that a piece of advice I got when I was first really going through my um, trauma with uh, how my last relationship with the church ended um, was that often when you'll get this, like, it's like a wall of feeling. Like you go into a space, you get triggered. It's like a wall of feeling. And I got the advice, I think it was from, I can't remember if it was my therapist or my spiritual director at the time when I still had one, um, saying that those, when you have like a wall of feelings or a blanket of feelings towards something, it's usually a collection of individual feelings. And so if you can pinpoint those feelings, then you can start dealing with them one at a time and eventually the wall will go away with the work of dealing with the one on you know, individual things. So I think when I look at Christianity as a whole, I have tried to stop looking at it or when I look at, yeah, Christianity as a whole or evangelicalism as a whole, I try to stop looking at it as one thing, a monolith, a monolith. And I try to look at the individual people that make it up. So there are some evangelical individuals who I have absolutely no obligation to feel kind or to leave space for. They are, their harm they are doing outweighs the good. I don't want anything to do with them. I am angry at them. I hold them responsible for, for what they're doing. The system of evangelicalism and the theology it perpetuates, not a fan. However, when I keep drilling down to the individual's, the pe- there are people I love 
that adhere to this faith. There are people I respect and admire who continue adhering to some form of Christianity. People who are doing good work. I mean, just all the authors, you know, Sarah Bessie, what Rachel Held Evans did, um, uh, my friend KJ Ramsey, beautiful, beautiful souls who are doing good work and still consider themselves to be some form of Christian and the evangelicals in my family and in my life. They are the ones that I keep in mind when I talk about Christianity. So because I have so much love and respect for some of these evangelical individuals, they are the ones that I hold with kindness and respect that I want to make sure if they read my posts, they feel as respected and honored by my words as I would want to feel by their words. Um, so that is how, that is why I hold that because I'm trying to keep the real life people in my mind and not just all Christians are one thing or all evangelicals are another. Like there are systemic issues but I have to I have to hold space for the people who are finding meaningful connections with God through this system. I'm just gonna leave it hanging there and in there because I think that's a beautiful way to way to approach that. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. It's been great to have you on. I hope this two-part conversation has been valuable for you. A shout out to Joy for doing this, even when she was feeling a little under the weather. So thank you, Joy, for that. Follow Joy on Instagram at Joy Vetterline. Subscribe to her Substack newsletter that comes out every week on Sundays. It's really good and has some great thought-provoking content every week, particularly if you're trying to find some kind of spirituality or faith in the mess of life. Um, and also, if you need some spiritual coaching, Joy is offering that too. So if you head to her Instagram page, there'll be more about that on there. Thank you for listening. We've got some exciting episodes coming up as well about neurodiversity, about men's mental health, about inclusivity. Um, so as and when I get the opportunity, I'm setting those up and recording and producing and editing them. Thanks for staying around for the journey. I really appreciate all of you who are, who are listening. I was really excited the other day. I mean, this is a very small podcast, but we hit over a thousand unique downloads um, last month sometime. And so that was really exciting for me because I haven't been checking the stats, which is something I usually do obsessively. And so I'm kind of excited about that. I know it's really small and lots of people have better numbers than this, but people are listening. Uh, reach out to me on Instagram um, if you want to talk about anything or if you found anything helpful. Um, I'm just grateful that you're here. Cheers. <laughs>